Seven billion humans on Earth can't all like the same drink. That's why Circle K has Polar Pop and Froster. Pick your flavors and make that one in seven billion mix just right for you. Polar Pop and Froster, just 79 cents each at Circle K. Limited time only at participating locations. Seven billion humans on Earth can't all like the same drink. That's why Circle K has Polar Pop and Froster. Pick your flavors and make that one in seven billion mix just right for you. Polar Pop and Froster, just 79 cents each at Circle K. Limited time only at participating locations. Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. My name is Steven Jodoran. Joining me today, as always, is Jake Watroba and Armand Kafai. And on today's episode, we overlook England. Just kidding. Now, listeners, if you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button on whichever podcast platform you are on. Leave us a five-star review and follow us at Uncle Sam's Soccer Pod. Now, let's get straight to it. Fellas! Did you guys watch that Costa Rica-Mexico match last night? I did. I know, Armand, you made your non-soccer friends watch it. That is how dedicated you are to this game. Yeah, I uh, made them watch it with me, and they were were really into it. So uh, I think I converted you guys into being uh, soccer fans. Are you proud of me? Well, no, not really. You You still walked around with a Tottenham jersey, so... Uh, you you hey, lost a lot hey, of points. Hey, it looks cool, me. man. It looks cool, man. It looks cool, man. I told I told you guys like I stick with my picks. You know, I said they were gonna have a really interesting run in Champions League, and you know, I said to buy a jersey in honor of that pick. Also, uh, the Revs are only a couple points out from a playoff spot. Yeah, you, you guys hate Bruce Arena, but he's kind of whipped whipped them in shape. Well, you, you said that they were overachieving by not being last place in the Eastern Conference last week when we spoke with Joseph Lowry on that episode. Uh, they were definitely overachieving. Now with Bruce, they got that little boost. They're definitely a little over. But, you know, it's not as good as my overachieving FC Cincinnati, who should be in the championship right now. Yeah, they're, Jake. Overachieving. they're overachieving by being in MLS. That's <laughs> what go. they're overachieving. <laughs> oh, Here my God. Go. I know terrible. it was a bad It was a bad prediction. It was a bad prediction. I wanted to be contrarian, and I look like an idiot. Yeah, Seven they are bad. One? They are bad. You saw them in are... person. How was that? Yesterday was the first time I left a match early because it was so ridiculous. I, I, I it got to six six to one and it, it was in the seventieth some odd minute. Hey Jake, how were those celebrations? Uh, Mason Toy scored his first goal, so that's okay by everybody's standard, right? That's what everybody said about some of the. Um, you know what? We're not getting into this. We're not doing it. <laughs> I'm just let me, messing let, with let you. Me, <laughs> let me. Let's let's dive two feet in or jump two feet in here to this show. Let's get spicy right right away. Better game. The U.S. Women's National Team's 2-1 win over France in the World Cup quarterfinals Friday or Costa Rica versus Mexico last night? From a purely entertainment standpoint, Mexico-Costa Rica. 100%. Just from a purely entertainment standpoint, uh, I think it's fair to say that, you know, that game 
between the U.S. and France wasn't the prettiest game. It was and boring, I Armand. I, I, you and I disagreed. I never thought, never once during those 90 minutes, yes, leading up to the game, I thought otherwise. I was expecting France to go at the U.S. Megan Rapinoe gets the goal, and the moment that happened, the game was set. The game was over. France were in shock. The U.S. had total control over the match. I never once thought, oh man, this outcome is uncertain. Not because the U.S. had the lead, because France sucked. Okay, that game was boring. I did not, I did not think it was an entertaining match. Apart from when France got the goals 2-1, then France started to push, last 15 minutes, sure. Maybe you thought the match was excellent. I just thought the U.S. overwhelmed France, and France really had no answers. France kind of buckled, and they started to do what they always do, and that's just retreat. Guys, let's take it back to before that match, when the news that Lindsey Horan was left off of the starting 11. Armand, let's get your take on that. That was that was pretty controversial on Twitter. What were your takes on that? What was your overall thoughts on Jill Ellis's thought process there? I don't like it. I don't like it. Uh, again, she's someone that can add balance into the midfield. She can fly all over the pitch. It's tough because you have so much depth, but she's obviously one of the better players on the team. I think you have to start her. And sure, the U.S. was up 2-0 when she came on. Whatever. I, I don't like it. I think you want to start with your best players. The World Cup, right? You want to have your best players on the pitch. She should be. She should have been on her to start. And you know what? Sure, the U.S. won. And sure, they France at times didn't like they're presenting that many challenges. But at the same time, I think it would have been even more comfortable if they had Horan in there kind of dictating and picking players out. I think she's a really special player. And I'm really – I'm baffled because Rose Lavelle – she had a pretty poor game, to be quite honest with you. And some people were lamenting her performance like she was good. Nah, she talked to someone and they were saying, I said, uh, she's been kind of meh. Like, it's an understatement. She's been kind of poor, to be quite honest with you. Armand, did you think the match was ever in doubt against France? In the end, when, they, when France scored, I felt a little momentum swing. But it was for like two to three minutes. And then it kind of exactly. died down. So the game was never in doubt. The, the game against Spain was a more competitive, a more worrisome match for the U.S. than this game against France. Jake, did you know that in the last 15 games in which Rapino has scored, the U.S. has not lost a game? Is she the best player at the tournament? If we had to give out the MVP award, best player of the tournament, I think she'll get it. It kind of feels like she's the best player in the tournament right now, doesn't it? She, she's, she's playing with some swag. I love it. Yeah. I mean, four goals in two games and five for the tournament. But think and, about and not, it. They, they were not, important games and important goals. And not to mention, too, with all the issues off the field surrounding Megan Rapino. she came up big in a, in a big moment, in a, in a big match, too. And it's it's pretty impressive to, with all that. With all that noise on the outside, she's able to dial it in and and produce on the biggest stage in the biggest moment. Yeah, I mean, look, you can disagree or agree with her off-the-field politics, but nonetheless, that's a huge distraction for her and the team. Has to be. And the fact that she's going out like and performing like that, I mean, you have to sit there and respect it. I mean, she is leading the charge for the U.S., 
And honestly, without her, who apart from Rapino, if she were to, I don't know, get a red card and leave the match, who is that next person to take charge? I'm not sure, to be honest with Who's you. Who's that emotional leader for the U.S.? And that's got to be a little bit of a worry that it's all Rapino, And the fact that, God forbid, an injury or God forbid that she gets in, in a bad tackle and has a, a red card. Who's that emotional leader? Because, guys, the U.S. has scored first in all of these matches. They have not trailed yet. And the goalkeeping, especially if England take a lead, Who's going to go back there and command the defense and, and lead the goalkeeper who, Alyssa Nair, who's been shaky at best. I mean, she wandered into no man's land multiple times against France. She was meh. She wasn't that good. That's the question mark, right? The goal is always in the question mark. I thought that game against France was a bit better than the game against Spain, like you've been saying, Stephen. What? You thought it was a better no, match? No, I meant I – meant, I, Relax. Let me get to what I was saying. In terms of how the U.S. played, oh, okay. right? Okay. In yeah. terms of how yeah. the U.S. In terms of how the U.S. played, I think it was because while it wasn't their best performance, it really shows how good the U.S. women's national team is. That they beat out arguably the second best team in the world, not playing their best football and winning comfortably. Isn't that insane, guys? Well, Armand, I want to touch on this. The U.S. women's national team only maintained 40% possession against France. Now, obviously, possession isn't the determining factor in whether or not you win a game or how you perform. But did we see a shift in tactics at all on Friday? We did. We did. We saw, it was a bit of the U.S. starting to absorb pressure and frustrate France instead of having it being an open game. I kind of questioned it at first, but it kind of made sense a little bit later on. They said, all right, France. Break us down. You're so good. You're this. You're that. Break us down. We're not going to give you these pockets to hit us on the counter with a man, like with our players out of position. We're going to be composed, seed possession, and say, hey, we're going to challenge you. You break us down. You come after us. You try to do this. And it worked. Putting the ball in France and France's court, they couldn't do it. They couldn't string together three or four passes together. It was insane. They played, it was a very sloppy game, but I think. So the U.S.'s credit, they made that game sloppy, and you know what? It worked. It worked to perfection. So it was it was in the benefit, you think, of the U.S. for a game to be somewhat broken, to, to not yeah, have a, so. a natural rhythm, which I think was a, a huge criticism from a spectator standpoint that the game had no rhythm. But I mm-hmm. I think you have to credit to credit the U.S. Bro, for, credit Jill Ellis. You know, we're gonna criticize yeah. her. We can credit her credit her for doing that. And switching to a 5-4-1 to frustrate them, it did frustrate them, to be honest with you. I think you, the outside of like a three-minute span, like pushing France and making them try to do things, they couldn't do it. Armand, I want to read a quote from Dan Hayes of ESPNW.com. Dan writes, To win one of the most anticipated games in its history, the United States women's national team ditched any artistry on a sweltering night in Paris. Megan Rapino scored two opportunistic goals and the U.S. erected its barricade against a French team willed on by tens of thousands of fans that tried to break through. The Americans entrusted their fate to a defensive effort led by the least known among the star-studded starting lineup. First with four defenders and then with five in front of the goalkeeper, 
The Americans withstood surge after surge in a 2-1 win. But was it really France dominating that defensive third of the U.S. creating opportunities? Or was it more a listener caught in no man's land? And France, did they really have those shots on target that you thought, oh, they're really threatening or they're knocking on the door? Not really. Think about it. The, the goal from France set piece. was a set piece. But if my memory serves me right, Sam Ewis kept everyone onside on that free kick. If she wasn't backtracking, France would have been caught offside, and we're, we're talking probably about a 2 nothing win over France. I thought, like I said, I thought it was more nervy than I did anything else. And I think it was a good, hard-fought result. But, I mean, hopefully there won't be a letdown against England, who's a pretty solid side as well. Well, Armand, it's funny you mentioned that, because I want to talk about if this game against England in the semifinals will be sort of a trap game. A, a lot of talk heading into the game against France was kind of, this is the final before the final. And I want to read a, a couple quotes from Jill Ellis uh, on the the win over France. It was the most intense match I've ever been a part of. That's Jill Ellis via Sam Borden of ESPN.com. Now keep in mind, Jill Ellis has already coached a World Cup winning team. So that just shows you the, 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 the pedestal, if you will, that this game was placed upon. And, and I want to I read another quote here via uh, USA Today. This is also from Jill Ellis. It started in the huddle at the end. As much as we were celebrating this win, I reminded them, we're just getting warmed up. We're on a mission. Question of the day, listeners, at Unc Sam Soccer Pod. With the game against France being viewed as the final before the final, is there any reason for concern about the game Tuesday against England being a trap game? Armand, let's start with you. No. Uh, the U.S. Women's National Team. They don't really let anything go against like their focus. Like I said, I think they're very tough-minded women. And I think they don't let anything get in the way. I think they're focused on a task at hand. It won't be a trap game or anything, but I I wouldn't be surprised if you saw the beginning of the game a little bit of like oh like a little bit of a hangover, a little like maybe the first ten minutes or something along those lines. But outside of that, I think they'll be fine. I I wouldn't expect a. Uh, it's a little bit of a letdown. That's the right word. I'm not sure that it's a trap game because it is still a semifinal, but I do think there could be an emotional letdown. Think about it. England, they're on the upswing of emotions coming off their quarterfinal match and, and their win. The U.S., now they're coming down from it because the hype of England versus the U.S. is not as big as France-U.S. So, Armand, I do think you're correct in saying that you might have 10 minutes. But this is more of a mental thing than anything. This is all mental. So if the players can get into the right state of mind, then this shouldn't have an impact whatsoever. But we have to also remind ourselves that England is a pretty damn good team. And I think from the media's perspectives, we might overlook England a little bit because it's not France. It's not the host nation. It's not a sexy matchup as France versus the U.S. So neither of you are concerned that we've already reached the pinnacle, it seems like, of matches so far in this tournament. You know, that was the match everybody had circled, U.S.-France. That was match we, we all circled on our calendars on this show. None of you, neither of you are concerned that 
the party may have started a little bit too early for the U.S. No, 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 no. And I'm actually kind of excited for this match as well. Well, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I'm excited as well. I, mean, I think I think this might, match might be better than the last one. Oh, I think it's going to be definitively better than the last match against France. And, and the, go ahead, go ahead. I I just think emotionally or and mentally that's the worry for the U.S. I I just don't think that the U.S. will hit that mental wall. Maybe some of the players will, and I think it's more more of a question is what's going to happen on the pitch because. The U.S. has been front runners from the get-go, and that's all that to their credit. But against Spain, Spain fought back, and the U.S. got punched. Against France, the punches were kind of coming, but they were only half-hitting. The question is, if England score first, what will the U.S. do? What will be the mental aspects of that? Will they be able to regroup and go get that game-tying goal or a, a late winner in the 80th-plus minute or whatever it may be? That's the concern, Jake. I think the U.S. is fine, actually, in this one. Every test that has been brought to them, this tournament, they have passed. Spain hit them in the mouth. We we, we sat here be, during the group and said, how is this team going to react when they get punched in the mouth? Spain punched them in the mouth. Spain gave them a good match. And you know, a fluky, questionable penalty. You know, maybe, maybe that was a lucky one for the U.S., but they still grinded out the result. Okay, good, great. Well, let's go play a, a tougher France team. Well, you know, they play France. They they draw first blood five minutes into the match, and they had France reeling. France didn't know how to react to that. I think France was shook yeah, after that 100%. first goal by Rapino. And then Rapino gets that second goal in the 65th minute, and it's kind of good night, France. I, th- I think everybody knew then that the match was over. I think. Oh, the- I did. I, I, I actually – I turned it off at work. I thought, well, there's no reason to watch us anymore. Like they're they're not going to blow a two two nothing lead at this point. So yeah. I I have no reason to believe it, that they'll fall on their face against England uh, this Tuesday in Lyon. Here's Phil Neville and his thoughts on the U.S. They're the best team in the world, uh, without a shadow of a doubt. Their their record is is phenomenal. Uh, the coach's record is phenomenal. Uh, you know, Jill. Uh, but I'm not worried about anything. Uh, I never do. Never, never worry about the opposition. Uh, we concentrate a lot on what we can do, how we're gonna try and win a game, and and our and our strengths uh, and our values and the style of play that we want to play is the most important thing. Uh, we want to play a certain style. Not not tomorrow night. The night after. Uh, <laughs> uh, and that is our aim, to go out there and play a World Cup semi-final with the freedom, the expression uh, that we've played the last five games. Guys, according to 538, the U.S. have a 67% chance of making the final. And Phil Neville is very confident in his English team, and he should be. They are fantastic. And, and they're going to be a, a, a tough out for the U.S., but I do wonder, guys, this emotional high coming off of France, do the English feel snubbed? And do they have almost something to live up to? And, and, and it's like, don't doubt us. We got here to our credit. Do you think there's an overlooking by the U.S. media, by the fans regarding this English team? And could that come back and kind of haunt some of the Americans? And I know this got nothing to do with the players. 
But I, I do think, just like we did with Spain, that we just kind of overlook things. You, I, I guess you got to hope they don't overlook things. Are, like, as a media perspective, I do feel like it's being a little bit overlooked. There's not as much hype around this game. Isn't that kind of weird? Do you feel the same way, guys? There's not that much exactly. hype around this England-USA game. And that's the problem. That is the worry that kind of seeps through the players. Because when they the U.S. get punched, it's like, oh, my God, mass panic. And it's like, wait a minute, guys. If you have done your research, if you have paid attention, this English team is very good. This is expected. This is going to be a dogfight of a match. Why? Because this is two of the best teams in the world going at it. And that's kind of what you want to hope for is a match where both sides take swings and may the best win. But when it's such a a, a dominant performance, it kind of takes the the fun out of the match. Jake, was a 7-1 beating of FC Cincinnati fun? After the fourth goal, it wasn't any. It wasn't fun anymore. I mean, once you know the game's in hand, like, what, what's... Yeah, scoring's fun. We all like goals. Who doesn't like goals, you know? But when you're at 4 nothing, it's kind of, well, hey, we're... This game's in the bag. We got this one. You see a fifth goal. You see a sixth goal. I left after the sixth goal, so I didn't see the seventh goal. But yeah, after, after you know, four or five, it, it's just kind of, okay... All right, we get it. That's great. You you won. You won. This game was wrapped up after forty five minutes. Guys, an interesting note here. We're talking about if the U.S. is overlooking England, and I don't know if this is necessarily overlooking England or not, or if it's just part of the process and part of the experience of doing a World Cup, and you have to look ahead, win or lose. A couple members of the U.S. Women's National Team staff scouted England's hotel as a potential venue for if they reached the World Cup final. England coach Phil Neville said it was bad etiquette and that England would never do that. Are we supposed to make anything of this? No, I think it's just Neville trying to use this as bulletin board material to say, hey, hey, play, hey to his uh, players, they're doubting us. They're already you know, preparing to play you know to the final they they think we're pushovers just to hype them up there's nothing teams probably do this all the time and we don't know about it bad etiquette whatever it's, it's crap he's just playing mind games smart mind games but so we're talking about it but i think it's just crap yeah yeah neville neville knows what the underdogs so he's trying to draw any extra bit of bulletin board materials he can hear from this so if he can his team's performance is just 1% better than it usually is because the U.S. was looking at England's team hotel for a potential date in the final of the World Cup. Then if you're, if you're, if you're Phil Neville, you have to do it. That's all it is. Yeah. Uh, guys, USA versus France averaged 6,335,000 viewers on Fox and Fox streaming sources, according to Nielsen. Fast national numbers with six. 1.1 million viewers on the Fox network alone. The U.S. Women's National Team matches the most watched FIFA Women's World Cup quarterfinal on record in the U.S. Um, are we expecting even a larger number against England? No, I don't think so. I think it's underhyped. I, I think it might be less. Honestly, that's kind of weird. It's weird because I usually expect you know an upward trend, but that combined with the fact that it's on a Tuesday. Tuesday, 3 p.m. Eastern in Lyon. Yeah, 2 p.m. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it might be a little bit less because it's underhyped. 
Yeah, I agree. I don't think I, I don't think it'll be much less though, but I think it'll be less. It's a lot easier for people to get work off on a Friday than it is to get work off on a Tuesday. However, though, you could say it would be. You know what? I'm gonna take it back. I think it might be more now that I'm thinking about it. Two days before the Fourth of July, people have work off this week because of the Fourth. I actually think it's gonna be too bad. The I game's actually, not Wednesday. Too bad. I actually think it's gonna be about the same. Actually. In addition, the match averaged 211,000 viewers online, making it the most streamed Women's World Cup game ever. Yeah, streaming, i, I that's where I think sports viewing is going to go into streaming. So th- those are good numbers. And in, and for context, 2015 quarterfinal over Chile, which was aired prime time, which is significant because prime time is always the highest viewing, averaged 5.74 million viewers. So some some fun stuff there. And, Jake, give me the fun facts. Steven, fun fact of the day here, or fun facts of the day, I should say, from at Opta Joe on Twitter. We'll start with the first one here. The host nation has been eliminated at the quarterfinal stage in each of the last four Women's World Cup tournaments. China in 2007, Germany in 2011, Canada in 2015, and France in 2019. All of them have fallen at this stage of the World Cup. The USA has now won their last 10 matches at the Women's World Cup, equaling the longest run of wins in the tournament's history set by Norway between 1995 and 1999. And finally, Megan Rapinoe is the first player to score two or more goals in back-to-back Women's World Cup appearances since Marta in 2007. So there are the fun facts for you. Listeners, the match against England should be a fun one. Jill Ellis just also celebrated her 100th win with the U.S., so she'll be going for 101. It'll be a fun match. Catch it Tuesday, 3 p.m. Eastern time on Fox against the English neighbors across the pond. Also, we'll have a a shortened week this week, a couple of less episodes compared to last week, but we do want to say thank you. You guys made June a wonderful month for us. We had a lot of fun covering all the U.S. men's and women's national team stuff. We'll continue it till the end of the World Cup and Gold Cup. But seriously, thank you from the bottoms of our heart. We had record numbers. So continue to hit that subscribe button, share, rate, follow us at UncSamSoccerPod. Send in your thoughts at Jake Retroba, at Ramakafai, at Steven Jodrand. And until next time. Charlie loves cherry, so he fills his froster with wild cherry, cherry cola, and tops it off with cherry limeade. It's the cherry on Charlie's day. Mix the polar pop or froster that works for you. Just 79 cents each at Circle K. Limited time only at participating locations. From a bird-watching nurse to a line-dancing firefighter, nobody's just one thing. That's why Polar Pop and Froster aren't either. Choose from all kinds of flavors and make your mix. Polar Pop and Froster, just 79 cents each at Circle K. Limited time only at participating locations.